Alright, G. Hit okay. It. When does a joke become a dad joke? When dad tells it. <laughs> when it, when it, Common when it becomes apparent. <laughs> I ate a clock the other day. It was time consuming. <laughs> what do you call a fake noodle? Impasta. <laughs> there's a go. What happens when a snowman uh, throws a tantrum? He has a meltdown. <laughs> Did you hear the rumor about the butter? Well, I'm not going to go that, go spreading that. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. I'm I'm so good at sleeping that I can do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> I told my wife that a husband is like a fine wine. We just have to get better. We just get better with age. And the next day she took me into the cellar. <laughs> or locked me in it. Locked me in the cellar. That's terrible. That's tough. Is that it? Yeah. I like the impasta. Okay, so this is, uh, you know, just as we go, it just gets worse and worse as far as Israel and Judah. Uh, but it's important to see these things. And also, thank goodness, the true king of kings came, who can never be corrupted uh, at all. And when he returns with our resurrection, we will never be able to be corruptible again as well. So that's the good news. Uh, but we are to the point where Israel is going to fall. And uh, we're in 2 Kings 17, 1 through 5. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel. He reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. So in other words, he was wicked, but not quite as bad. And you'll notice here, uh, in all the other verses, it mentioned the sins of Jeroboam. This is the one king where that's not in there. So um, it makes you wonder, like on the sins of Jeroboam, was that relegated to the calves specifically? I'm wondering that. But anyway... Uh, against him came Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. Hoshea became his uh, vassal, and he paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he sent his messengers to So, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king invaded all the land, and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. Okay, so um, Tiglath, the one that we uh, read about last week, the third, assassinated Pekah. Remember, he was over Israel. And then he installed Hosea as king. At this point in the story, the landmass, so we started with ten tribes, the landmass has shrunk simply to the territory of Ephraim, where Samaria is located. I find that very interesting because Ephraim is where the presence of God started when they became a nation member. The ark was there. Uh, Eli and his sons were priests there, and that's where uh, Moses' tabernacle was. So it's a principle that if you do not occupy in advance, you will shrink back. You'll lose ground. So, like I think I said last week, defense is never winning. Uh, offense, being on the offense is winning. Okay? Expanding, etc. So our responsibility in any uh, shift of culture and cities and counties and states is to make sure that we not only maintain the ground, but we also are advancing into other areas. So now we've got this tiny little area of the kingdom of Israel, and then the Assyrian king has surrounded it and it has fallen far, 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 far from uh, Ahab's days. Tiglath III had annexed the remainder 
And now we have Shalmaneser, the new king, going after Hosea because of his betrayal and refusal to pay his tribute. Uh, now, I believe that this is a case what, uh, that we saw with uh, Putin invading Ukraine. There was a change of guard. So Hosea, like most leaders, when they see a country transitioning to a new leader, they think that's their opportunity. So they will move and make alliances or invade lands during that time, hoping you know, that it'll work and they'll be able to uh, have victory. So I think that's what Hosea did. He went to Egypt, which God said repeatedly, do not go to Egypt. He said that over and over and over, and every king that went to Egypt was doomed because he said never return. Once they left Egypt, never return. I also find it interesting that Jesus was taken to Egypt in safety. That to me speaks of the redemption of the world. It was a safety act, but also a prophetic act that he, as the only incorruptible king, came to save the world. So uh, just a little bit of prophetic uh, stuff there. Okay, so for three years. Now, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria, Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the city of the Medes, or cities of the Medes. So this right there is the end of Israel. Okay? And it's also... Uh, once Babylon comes on the scene, which we're going to see, where you'll now begin a kickoff to the Messiah. Uh, Daniel talked about it, and one of the first kingdoms was Babylon. But notice that he took them in the cities of the Medes. They'll play a part too, because remember, after the exile of 70 years of the kingdom of Judah, it was the Medo-Persian king that decreed they go and rebuild their land. So we're literally seeing prophecy uh, occurring that later Daniel would prophesy in depth and in detail. Okay, now this is the, the view of why all of this happened in verses 7 through 13, so we're going to go ahead and read that. And this, the end of Israel, occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. And they walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. Now, in verse 7, that is another principle that what you fear you worship. Okay? And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols, of which the Lord said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah, by every prophet and every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in, in accordance with the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Now, God is just and their actions required him to judge them. He literally had no choice because he would have been a hypocrite if he would have used the Hebrews to drive out all the Ite nations for their idolatry, and then he didn't do anything with them, right? If we look at, um, this isn't in your notes, but in Genesis 15, and it was talking about um, the promise, the covenant that God cut with uh, Abraham, in verse 7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said, well, Lord, how will I possess it? Uh, or how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he gets his heifer and his goat and all that, and he prepares the sacrifice by cutting them in half. And then uh, verse 12, as the sun was going down, 
a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not there, and will be servants or slaves there, and will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now that's a warfare principle. Whatever oppression you come out of, you should be richer. And by that, I don't necessarily mean monetarily, although that can be the case, but richer in character, uh, uh, lessons learned, wisdom, the ability to help others, and also possessions. Because it says they came out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. But they shall come back here the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So wickedness and righteousness has a maturing process. And so the Lord gives people way more time than we probably would give them. Okay, so he, he's very, very long-suffering. He His uh, highest goal is for everyone to be saved. And uh, so he will go to the extremes. But eventually... Wickedness matures to such a state that it forces his judgment. And as we learned, based on the disciplinary process, uh, that that nation or person is then handed over to the jurisdiction of the enemy for him to carry out the sentence. Okay? So here we have this situation where, you know, the word comes to pass with Moses taking them out of Egypt, forms a nation. They have their laws given to them, their customs, their worship, all of those things based on the pattern that God gave them. Plus, they fought all of the ites, drove them out of the land, right? And then they succumbed to the very thing they drove out. So he had to. He's very just, and he had to. I think it's interesting because in uh, this version, which is the uh, NLT, uh, or NLT, rather, it says in the customs of the king of Israel had practiced, and this one has it as they introduced it. So they, so they introduced it, but they brought in that to the people. To the people, yeah. And the fact that they think that they could do it in secret, and that's the thing. Uh, one of the best sermons I ever heard was actually from a man that was sleeping with a male prostitute and doing meth, Ted Haggard, <laughs> uh, during that time. But one of the best sermons he ever preached was if. If you like, if you sin, it's one thing, but if you cause another to sin, you might go to hell. I mean, he just it was, and he has it was really really good. He probably thought about that a long time. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, now the word fear. It means to respect, to reverence, and to be afraid. It's the exact word that's used to fear the Lord. So they translated their fear from him over to these dumb idols that couldn't speak, that couldn't do anything. Uh, and then, again, the principle of you worship what you fear, uh, whether it's the idea of fear that we know most you know, have as far as being afraid or what we respect the most. Now, fear itself is not necessarily evil in that, you know, because of the fall, we should fear lions. We should fear walking in front of vehicles. We should fear jumping off of cliffs because there are certain natural laws in place that if we violate them, we'll probably end up dead. Uh, so fear has its place. So does anger. Anger is a, uh, uh, a sign of injustice, right? Uh, but it's, it's how you navigate through normal things versus uh, fearing the wrong things. So fear, anger, all of the emotions, the soul itself can be twisted uh, and um, cause us to make very bad decisions. So the key to overcoming fear is actually to fear the Lord above all else. Proper fear of Him is the answer to fear. It's also the beginning of wisdom, which is the response to problems. Wisdom is the response to problems. So if you need a response to something that is happening to you, then you need wisdom. I think one of the fascinating things, like you guys know, I've been addicted to the book of Proverbs. I've given away like two or three of my Passion Bibles and I have to start all over on Proverbs. But usually by the time I give 
one of them away, I've either gone halfway or all the way through Proverbs. You probably think, man, does she read the rest of her Bible? Yes, I read the rest of my Bible. Uh, but the, the most enlightening and fascinating thing that came out of Proverbs is that wisdom is the answer to problems. Because I think what happens is we as Christians, especially charismatic circles, you know, we pray and then wait. Then we pray some more because nothing's happening. And then we wait some more. And then eventually we create a doctrine that God, He didn't answer our prayers and He let us down or I'm being taught a lesson or whatever it is. No, He probably wanted to give you a strategy. He was probably telling you what that strategy was, but you didn't recognize it. Therefore, He sent the answer, but you didn't see it. It's the same thing when you look at the fact that God the Father looked down on the condition of mankind. And He saw we were helpless. We had no way to save ourselves. We had no way to reverse the curse. We had no way to change our now fallen nature into a new one to restore all that was lost. We had no way to do that. In fact, we didn't ask to be in that condition. None of us asked to be born in sin, right? So He looked down upon us and He saw, you know, they're helpless, I will send the solution. I will become man. Which, if you look at it, Jesus Christ has become the wisdom of God. Right? So wisdom responded to our problem, and on top of that, wisdom had a solution before there was ever a problem, because Revelation says He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Wisdom always has a solution before there's a problem. We learned that with uh, some of the early First King studies we did where the solution was in the house. Father had the solution in his house, right? So that's important is don't be passive with your problems. You know, you've got to execute the instructions he gives you and that's where wisdom comes in. It's kind of like, you know, we've heard this over and over about the man that prayed for God to save him and he sent the boat and he sent the helicopter and finally ended up in heaven and he's mad because he's like, you didn't save me. He's like, well, I sent you the boat and the helicopter, you know. So we need to be aware that sometimes God appears very practical and very natural in his solutions. Now, do secretly means that they are worshiping other gods secretly or hidden uh, uh, and also wicked things. The word wicked is an adjective mean, meaning bad and evil. The basic meaning of this word displays ten or more various shades of the meaning of evil according to its contextual usage. It means bad in a moral and ethical sense, and it's used to describe, along with good, the entire spectrum of good and evil. Hence, it depicts evil in an absolute negative sense. In other words, any evil you can think of from the mildest all the way to the most severe and it provoked God to anger. So what he's saying is that in Israel there was every level of wickedness. Now that's crazy. And see that's why I'm concerned about our country. Um, there's definitely more of us than there are of them, but you, you wouldn't know it by the news. Uh, let me see if I can this isn't in here either, but I want to get you inside the emotions of Father um, during this time. Um, let's look at, let's just start with verse 1 in Ezekiel chapter 16. When I came across this chapter years ago, um, you know, I don't tear up or cry easy, but this one definitely made me. Um, because it's describing Father's heart toward the people and what all happened. So in Ezekiel... 16, we're going to start with verse 1. I might have said Exodus, but it's Ezekiel. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And thus says the Lord, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out 
on the open field for you were aboard on the day that you were born. Now he's referring to the nation, right? The city of Jerusalem, but also the nation. This explains why they're still despised. That's why the enemy, he's hated Israel from the start because God chose him. Verse 6, And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, Live. I said to you in your blood, Live. And I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up, became tall, and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, and your hair has grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord your God, and you became mine. So God married this nation. Okay. Then I bathed you with water, the word, washed off your blood, anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. And your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. So we see him treating his wife as a bride, as royalty. He gave her everything he possibly could for her comfort, for her beauty, for honor. Verse 15, But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them you played the whore. The like has never been nor ever will be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourselves images of men, and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them, and set my oil and my incense before them. Also, my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for pleasing aroma, and so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you have borne to me, and these you sacrifice to them to be devoured or aborted. Right there in uh, verse 20. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you do not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood? Verse 23, And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God. You built yourself a vaulted chamber and made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. You played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies, the daughters of the Philistines, who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. They were worse than the nations around them. You played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them and still you weren't. You multiplied your whorings also with the trading land of Chaldea or Babylon. And even with this you weren't satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street, making your lofty place in every square. You were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. In other words, they did it for free. Adulterous wife who received strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whorings. 
no one solicited you to play the whore and you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different. Now, obviously, the Lord is not politically correct. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered and your whorings with your lovers, with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved, and all those you hated, I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them so they may all see your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. And I will give you into their hands and they shall throw down your vaulted chamber, break down your lofty places, strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up a crowd against you, and they will stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. They will burn your houses and execute judgments upon you in the sight of many women. I will make you stop playing the whore, and you shall also give payment no more. And so I will satisfy my wrath on you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm and no more be angry. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things, therefore, behold, I have returned your deeds upon your head, have you not committed lewdness in addition to all your abominations? Behold, everyone who uses Proverbs will use this one about you, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother, who loathed her husband and her children. You are the sister of your sisters, who loathed their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite, and your father an Amorite. And your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister who lived to the south of you is Sodom. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations within a very little time, you were more corrupt than they in all of their ways. So Judah got even worse than Israel. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations within a very little time, you were more corrupt as I live, declares the Lord. Your sister Sodom and her or sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. That's our country, if we're not careful. We're still aiding the poor and needy, but that may be the only thing that saved us. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Samaria has not committed half your sins. You've committed more abominations than they, and have made your sisters appear righteous by all the abominations they've done. Bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters, and because of your sins, in which you acted more abominably than they, they are more in the right than you. So be ashamed, you also, and bear your disgrace, for you've made your sisters appear righteous and so he goes on um, and then in verse 59 for thus says the Lord I will deal with you as you have done you who have despised the oath and breaking the covenant yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord, that you may again remember and be confounded. Never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you all that you have done. Um, I thought this was in here, but that might have been the wrong one, but basically the Lord... I thought it was Ezekiel 16 where he said, You've broken my heart with all of your idolatry. So we've got a rightful anger of a husband that's been betrayed. Uh, but he wasn't just betrayed. I mean, they were just with whatever and whomever and whatever idol and nation. They were just consorting with all of them. But this is the severity of the Lord, right? You have to know his severity and kindness. And then his promise, covenant. I'm going to remember it. You may not, but I will first, and then I will woo you back to myself, and that was accomplished through the Lord, or will be accomplished through the Lord. What stood out to me was where it says, you're, you will, uh, 
pay your lovers instead of them paying you. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We we fund right now in America. We fund every. We're we're funding abortion. Yep. We'll start there. We're funding. Uh, oh, you know, gender. Whatever studies and yeah, just every different kind of thing that um, I'm not too sure that we should be doing. Exactly. I am too sure that we should. Right, right. <laughs> and I wish I could find that. That I mean, that was a good passage to read, but um, the one where they had broken his heart. So there's a lot of emotion in God tied to this. And the thing is, is that he's slow to anger, but you never want to get him to that point because then he's going to have to do what he has to do. And I think the reason Judah got to go a little bit longer is because of David. I really believe that is because of David. And um, so, you know, this is what's going on. And... Um, you know, he sends the prophets. He tells them they kill the prophets. They wouldn't listen to the prophets. Uh, every level of wickedness is in the city. And so in verse 14 of 2 Kings, it says, But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false gods, gods and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them, consuming the, concerning whom the Lord commanded that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all of the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. So there's Jeroboam's sin. Uh, and then they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. They burned their sons and daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. So here's the word for stubborn, okay? It means to be hard, severe, fierce. That word perilous times, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. One of the definitions of that word perilous is fierce. So you'll get to the point in society where the stubbornness of people's hearts to do wickedness will become very fierce. We're probably seeing a little bit of that now. I mean, I don't know if y'all saw the footage of the um, wicked uh, people going into the um, Catholic Church disrupting the mass in uh, chanting, thank God for abortion. I'm not shocked, unfortunately. Uh, it's like a dry, hard land in drought. It also means to struggle against and be difficult. There's also the idea of being a burden. In other words, Israel no longer brought father joy. Now they were like a burden. Their conduct weighed upon him and he would try. He would warn them, and he, you know, and he would accept their repentance. Even I mean, he showed himself over and over to be a faithful father who loved his children, and they just would not listen. And you know, we've all experienced that. I mean, I know of two times in having uh, the hub and the furnace back in the day where it was like a person, two of them that they're no longer with us but i'm like what <laughs> you know they weren't a joy that's why in um i don't know if it's in timothy or it's one of paul's letters he said make sure that you're a joy to those that are over you like don't make life hard for them don't make their job harder and there's and that's the idea that we have here is that his life was negatively, God was negatively impacted by their behavior, and they were now a burden. Uh, and then we see that the root of this was they did not believe in the Lord their God. And that where they went after false gods and became false themselves is interesting. You know, it's like whatever image you behold, you become. And so instead of beholding his image, they beheld false God's image, and they became false. 
Now, Judah's not doing much better. So we have the end of Israel. He tells us why they fell. We read Ezekiel 16 that tells us even more of the mind of God on the matter. Here in verse 19, it says, Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he cast them out of his sight. Um, but it didn't stop them. Even though Judah saw their sister be destroyed and the Lord do exactly what he said he was going to do, they didn't believe him. And what's also sad is this all started with Solomon. I hate that. So as a father of the nation, his unfaithfulness caused division and unfaithfulness in the people. It's ironic that through wisdom, he ended the desolation that comes from fatherlessness, but his orphan heart eventually manifested itself through worshiping idols. So even though by the wisdom and the anointed on him, anointing on him, he ended the desolation of fatherlessness. That's 1 Kings or 2 Kings chapter 5. He then, because his orphan heart was not healed, brought in all of these different idols and created an orphan nation. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in the sin, in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had spoken by all his servants and prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. So now in verses 24 through 28, we see that the king of Assyria, he resettled Samaria. So he brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvim, something like that. And he placed them in there. Um, that happened again after Titus destroyed the second temple. They brought in all these other people to live there, but the Israelites were so stubborn. They ran every single Jew out of Jerusalem and renamed the town and made it unlawful for a Jew to be in that city for a long time because they were so stubborn they would not submit to the Romans and so the Romans just ran them out uh, verse 25 at the beginning they're dwelling there this is just so ironic it irritates me when these people from other nations okay the king of Assyria puts them in Samaria at the beginning of their dwelling there they didn't fear the Lord therefore the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them so the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you've carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria, they don't know the law of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they're killing them, because they don't know the law of the God of the land. So the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. If y'all could, my heart rate goes up when I read that. Because I'm like, are you kidding me? The indictment against the people of God, over and over we see this pattern. What God could not accomplish through people who say they believe Him, He could accomplish through people who had no idea who He was. And you see it to this day. People that pastor churches, sleep with prostitutes, sleep with... Uh, male prostitutes do drugs treat their families like crap don't want to pay their taxes building empires the warning is you will not get away with it ever and so here we the lions is interesting did y'all hear the story about the elephants in India I don't remember if it's the northern or southern part but the Hindus were going around killing Christians slaughtering them house to house these elephants came out of the forest and began to trample these Hindus down and killed them off. And it was such a shock that people got born again because the elephants didn't kill Christians, only the Hindus. They would crush them with their, what are they called? Is that a hoof? They have hooves? What is that? 
foot. Is it a foot? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you have something you wanted to say, Kathy? Oh, I just said, I think sometimes we experience the love of God. And because we do that, we think that's just going to cover everything. They feared God because they didn't experience any of that love. Right. And so they only looked at consequences of actions. That's mm -hmm. all they were looking at mm -hmm. and saying, because uh, we've done, oh, we must have done something to upset God, and so we need to follow that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they had any concept of the love of God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it tells us, and we see that in the Hosea, where, you know, he had the wife, and yeah. you know, he kept forgiving her. And she experienced that love, and because she did, she just thought, oh, you know, I can just do whatever right. I want. Right. And so I think sometimes we get a hold of that love just enough that we think that's just going to cover it all. Yep, yep. Yeah, and you see that like back in the day where the fear of the Lord was really emphasized, right? So you get into like legalism mm -hmm. and performance-based things, and then you swing the pendulum way over to the other side, and now there's like a, a license to do whatever you want. Wisdom is living between the tensions of those two. You know, it's like, absolutely, I can spend time with Father, let Him love on me, me love on Him, but I will not forget, you know, that He is the God that sent lions to eat people. And that, you know, like, He doesn't play around. And so it is, and I, you know me, I don't like to necessarily use the word balance because I think sometimes we can use that to be complacent. But there is a balance to the love and the fear of the Lord. So you're right. It's I just, just it just is aggravating that they could figure out the fear yes. of the Lord and these people couldn't. I just think they, they it just colored their whole perspective. Like, okay, well, we know those people. I'll uh -huh. do it and God will bless it. And I think that's where they had settled into. Um, he brought us in from Egypt and he gave us this and, yep. and, you know, all this stuff. And they just thought, we'll just do whatever we want. Well, and then, like, you know, you've got... The pagans could at least see that. Exactly. They could see, Constant oh, we're effect. offending the God of that land. I mean, <laughs> God kept telling his own people, you're offending me. Cut it out. And, and then, so here we have people that don't know God that are smarter. It's not changed because Jesus said the sons of darkness are more shrewd than the sons of light. That wasn't a compliment. You know, so I, I don't, it just... And honestly, right Irritates now, me. <laughs> no if, if we bring it into modern day, I think it's still the same. Oh, absolutely. Well, if it wasn't, why do witches, why do Satanists, why, try to come against Christians, try to come against the beliefs and mm -hmm. anything that has to do with God and His love. Yep. Why do they come against it? It's because they at least fear it. They recognize. Mm -hmm. But we're sitting here, la, 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 la. Yeah. And lackadaisical. And we don't take advantage, and we don't practice, and we don't get this authority that we have. We don't do anything with it. We just kind of uh, exist. Yeah, we just are. We're just out there in that little raft, just getting, you know, mm -hmm. tossed around to whichever way we're going to get tossed around. Because we don't like being uncomfortable. That's right. And even like recent history is Hitler. The, the church, you know, and I've talked about this before, but Martin Luther laid a groundwork of anti-Semitism. And so even though he did great work in the 99 Thesis, they knelt on the door, he had it in for Jewish people. And so by the time Hitler got here, the culture was ripe for the destruction of a nation. And the Christians partnered with Hitler. And so later... In his personal private papers, they found out the Christians were next. Because Hitler didn't serve any god but himself. Well, there was quite a few Christians that, that did die. Some did defend. But you know what I mean? Overall, yeah. as a society, in yeah. the Christian churches, they went with Hitler. And they ignored the dust coming out of these concentration camps, knowing full well that he was burning up Jews. So... Again, it's it, and it's just it's to me the epitome of foolishness. This is the epitome. A a sinner should not have more faith in you. Mm -hmm. A sinner should not know more about God than you. And a sinner should not have more fear of God than you. Right? 
So, anyway, that when I wrote this, I was just irritated to no end. I had to go for a walk and calm down. <laughs> Fill it again. Okay, verse 29, But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities. In other words, you know, they had freedom of religious uh, expression. The men of Babylon made Succoth Benoth, the men of Cuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath, Ashima, and the Avites made Nibes and Tartic, and the whatevers burned their children in the fire to Adrimelech and Anemelech, the gods of Sepharvim. How would you say that, Roberta? I heard you whispering it. Do you know Sepharvim? Sepharvim? Sepharvim. They also feared the Lord. Uh, and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines. So they feared the Lord, but also served uh, their own gods after the manner of the nations among whom they had been carried away. Uh, now, how can the pagans get away with worshiping their gods and God? Well, it's a principle. To whom much is given, much is required. They have no knowledge. They're ignorant. Now, the priests are starting to teach them, but there's like a a mixture, right? And so for them, they're just adding that God to their own gods. And um, uh, they weren't given the laws, the presence, etc. Now I want to finish with Acts 17, 24-31 in the English Standard. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Not like a blind man, right? Trying to find something. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, right? So this is what we're talking about right here in 2 Kings 17. He's overlooking what they're doing because they don't know, right? But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent because the true God, Jesus Christ, has come. Because he has a fixed day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So, to know him and not become like him is the height of folly. It's also evidence you don't truly know him. Just because you possess knowledge doesn't mean you're knowledgeable. You're knowledgeable when you uh, practice the knowledge you possess, right? So they have an idea, they have a theory, but they don't have a, a practice when it comes to worshiping the Lord. So this to me kind of gives us the reason and the idea of why he overlooked these pagans and their worship, and why he, you know, now he demands repentance everywhere. So, we've got one nation. Um, Judah will actually have some good times and some bad times, which we'll look at, but we know that they end up in the same, the same uh, box. Um, and from that point on, they were actually scattered, and also uh, with the Romans. Once Titus came in, they were really scattered for 2,000 years until May... 14th, 1947 or 48, I believe, when they were uh, made a nation again. So I always have that in my calendar calendar to celebrate. And don't you think that uh, when, Rome, when Rome poured out, you know, remember they always poured a little wine to the unknown God. Mm -hmm. Right here is where that started. Yeah, that's where, yeah, and Paul was talking to them. It was actually, that chapter is one of his most brilliant sermons, but only a few got converted. It's very, very good sermon that you could study and break down, but didn't quite get the results he was looking for. <laughs> All right, well, anything else anybody wants to add or 
I think definitely release your sound this week. Be important. Um, I would pray for the safety of the justices. Uh, there's some crazy people out there, and uh, their children, their families. And they're already going to their homes and mm-hmm. Yep. The thing with judges, they usually don't like that. Even dumb judges don't like that. So, uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word. And I think I can safely say for everybody in this room, we do not want to be an example of the epitome of foolishness. To say that we follow you yet not look like you, uh, where people that don't know you have more fear of you than us, uh, we don't want that. And we want to be a very clear, plain, practical, supernatural example of the Father and of Jesus Christ. So I ask that you help us do that. I pray that if there's anything in our hearts that would be orphaned mindsets and thought processes, that you would reveal them so that we're not like Solomon, where we bring victory, we take ground, we end the abomination of desolation, the, the fatherlessness effects in a culture, and yet remain orphans in our own heart. We want integrity, Father, and wholeness in our being, that what you see is what you get, that there is no duplicity, there's no double-mindedness, there's no going back and forth. We are followers of Christ, and that's it. We want to be the least religious, because religion doesn't save. Jesus Christ does. It's relationship. We want to know you as much as possible on this earth. That is our goal, because eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son. It's a lofty and honorable pursuit. We ask that you equip us to do so. And so, Father, perilous times, fierce times are upon us, and they're also among your people, because that's actually who you were referring to in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. We want to be those who allow the power of godliness to transform us more and more like Christ. As he was on the earth, so are we. That is what we want to be. So we ask that you help us to do that, as well as give us a strategy to transform our cities, our counties, and our states to love you. I decree over New Mexico that she will be a state that is pro-life. I decree over New Mexico that she will not remain the last, but she will rise up through the ranks to become a prototype of what it means to be a nation or a state blessed by God. I pray, Father, for an unusual unity to come upon the four corners of New Mexico with a common cause, uh, and that is to follow you and to have a prosperous state. And Father, we ask that you help us end abortion in this state now that it'll go back to states' rights. We don't want it here. And Father, we also ask that you create alliances, unusual alliances for us to accomplish our purpose. Father, we also ask for innovation and witty inventions to come upon your people in the marketplace and also the pulpit for ways to do this. This morning we give you our tithes and offerings with absolute joy, no obligation, no guilt, no hesitancy or reluctance, because we know that you will not abandon nor do without a cheerful giver. So Father, we give to you this morning as a pledge of our allegiance to you and not the God of mammon. And we ask, Father, that Jesus Christ receive our offering with a cheerful heart this morning where he is seated next to you. We ask that you bless all the mamas. We refuse to call them birthing persons. We ask that you bless all the mamas. And we ask that you bless your children and that this be a good day. And help us to remember this week to release our sound. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was pondering.